0: Chapter twenty part three of Supplements to the Second Book from the World as Will and Idea, Volume two by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter twenty Objectification of the Will in the Animal Organism. Part three the nerves of the brain and spinal cord separate at their roots into sensory and motory nerves the sensory nerves receive the knowledge from without which now accumulates in the thronging brain and is there worked up into ideas which arise primarily as motives but the motory nerves bring back like couriers the result of the brain function to the muscle upon which it acts as a stimulus and the irritability of which is the immediate manifestation of the will presumably the plastic nerves also divide into sensory and motory although on a subordinate scale the part which the ganglia play in the organism we must think of as that of a diminutive brain and thus the one throws light upon the other the ganglia lie wherever the organic functions of the vegetative system require care it is as if there the will was not able by its direct and simple action to carry out its aims but required guidance and consequently control just as when in some business a man's own memory is not sufficient and he must constantly take notes of what he does for this end mere knots of nerves are sufficient for the interior of the organism because everything goes on within its own compass for the exterior on the other hand A very complicated contrivance of the same kind is required this is the brain with its feelers which it stretches into the outer world the nerves of sense but even in the organs which are in communication with this great nerve centre in very simple cases the matter does not need to be brought before the highest authority but a subordinate one is sufficient to determine what is needed such is the spinal cord in the reflex actions discovered by marshall hall such as sneezing yawning vomiting the second half of swallowing etc etc the will itself is present in the whole organism since this is merely its visible form the nervous system exists everywhere merely for the purpose of making the direction of an action possible by a control of it as it were to serve the will as a mirror so that it may see what it does just as we use a mirror to shave by hence small sensoria arise within us for special and consequently simple functions the ganglia but the chief sensorium the brain is the great and skilfully contrived apparatus for the complicated and multifarious functions which have to do with the ceaselessly and irregularly changing external world wherever in the organism the nerve threads run together in a ganglion there to a certain extent an animal exists for itself and shut off which by means of the ganglion has a kind of weak knowledge the sphere of which is however limited to the part from which these nerves directly come but what actuates these parts to such quasi knowledge is clearly the will indeed we are utterly unable to conceive it otherwise upon this depends the vita propria of each part and also in the case of insects which instead of a spinal cord have a double string of nerves with ganglia at regular intervals the capacity of each part to continue alive for days after being severed from the head and the rest of the trunk and finally also the actions which in the last instance do not receive their motives from the brain that is, instinct and natural mechanical skill marshall hall whose discovery of the reflex movements i have mentioned above has given us in this the theory of involuntary movements some of these are normal or physiological such are the closing of the places of ingress to and egress from the body thus of the sphincteres vesicae et ani proceeding from the nerves of the spinal cord the closing of the eyelids in sleep from the fifth pair of nerves of the larynx from n vagus if food passes over it or carbonic acid tries to enter also swallowing from the pharynx yawning and sneezing respiration entirely in sleep and partly when awake and lastly the erection ejaculation as also conception and many more some again are abnormal and pathological such are stammering hiccoughing vomiting also cramps and convulsions of every kind especially in epilepsy tetanus in hydrophobia and otherwise finally the convulsive movements produced by galvanic or other stimuli and which take place without feeling or consciousness in paralyzed limbs that is in limbs which are out of connection with the brain also the convulsions of beheaded animals and lastly all movements and actions of children born without brains all cramps are a rebellion of the nerves of the limbs against the sovereignty of the brain the normal reflex movements on the other hand are the legitimate autocracy of the subordinate officials these movements are thus all involuntary because they do not proceed from the brain and therefore do not take place in accordance with motives but follow upon mere stimuli the stimuli which occasion them extend only to the spinal cord or the medulla oblongata and from there the reaction directly takes place which effects the movement the spinal cord has the same relation to these involuntary movements as the brain has to motive and action and what the sentient and voluntary nerve is for the latter the incident and motor nerve is for the former that yet in the one as in the other that which really moves is the will is brought all the more clearly to light because the involuntarily moved muscles are for the most part the same which under other circumstances are moved from the brain in the voluntary actions in which their primum mobile is intimately known to us through self-consciousness as the will Marshall Hall's excellent book, On the Diseases of the Nervous System, is peculiarly fitted to bring out clearly the difference between volition and will, and to confirm the truth of my fundamental doctrine. For the sake of illustrating all that has been said, let us now call to mind that case of the origination of an organism which is most accessible to our observation. Who makes the chicken in the egg? Some power and skill coming from without, and penetrating through the shell? oh no the chicken makes itself and the force which carries out and perfects this work which is complicated well calculated and designed beyond all expression breaks through the shell as soon as it is ready and now performs the outward actions of the chicken under the name of will it cannot do both at once previously occupied with the perfecting of the organism it had no care for without but after it has completed the former the latter appears under the guidance of the brain and its feelers the senses as a tool prepared beforehand for this end the service of which only begins when it grows up in self-consciousness as intellect which is the lantern to the steps of the will its egemonicon and also the supporter of the objective external world however limited the horizon of this may be in the consciousness of a hen but what the hen is now able to do in the external world through the medium of this organ is as accomplished by means of something secondary infinitely less important than what it did in its original form for it made itself we became acquainted above with the cerebral nervous system as an assistant organ of the will in which it therefore objectifies itself in a secondary manner as thus the cerebral system, although not directly coming within the sphere of the life functions of the organism, but only governing its relations to the outer world, has yet the organism as its basis, and is nourished by it in return for its services. And as thus a cerebral or animal life is to be regarded as the production of the organic life, the brain and its function, knowledge, thus the intellect, belong indirectly and in a subordinate manner to the manifestation of the will the will objectifies itself also in it as will to apprehend the external world thus as will to know therefore great and fundamental as is the difference in us between willing and knowing the ultimate substratum of both is yet the same the will as the real inner nature of the whole phenomenon but knowing the intellect which presents itself in self-consciousness entirely as secondary is to be regarded not only as the accident of the will but also as its work and thus although in a circuitous manner is yet to be referred to it as the intellect presents itself physiologically as the function of an organ of the body metaphysically it is to be regarded as a work of the will whose objectification or visible appearance is the whole body thus the will to know objectively perceived is the brain as the will to go objectively perceived is the foot the will to grasp the hand the will to digest the stomach the will to beget the genitals etc. this whole objectification certainly ultimately exists only for the brain as its perception in this the will exhibits itself as organised body but so far as the brain knows it is itself not known but is the knower the subject of all knowledge so far however as in objective perception that is in the consciousness of other things thus secondarily it is known it belongs as an organ of the body to the objectification of the will for the whole process is a self-knowledge of the will it starts from this and returns to it and constitutes what kant has called the phenomenon in opposition to the thing in itself therefore that which is known that which is idea is the will and this idea is what we call body which as extended in space and moving in time exists only by means of the functions of the brain thus only in it that on the other hand which knows which has that idea is the brain which yet does not know itself but only becomes conscious of itself subjectively as intellect that is, as the knower that which when regarded from within is the faculty of knowledge is when regarded from without the brain this brain is a part of that body just because it itself belongs to the objectification of the will the will's will to know is objectified in it its tendency towards the external world accordingly the brain and therefore the intellect is certainly conditioned immediately by the body and this again by the brain yet only indirectly as spatial and corporeal in the world of perception not in itself that is as will thus the whole is ultimately the will which itself becomes idea and is that unity which we express by i the brain itself so far as it is perceived thus in the consciousness of other things and hence secondarily is only idea but in itself in so far as it perceives it is the will because this is the real substratum of the whole phenomenon its will to know objectifies itself as brain and its functions we may take the voltaic pile as an illustration certainly imperfect but yet to some extent throwing light upon the nature of the human phenomenon as we here regard it the metals together with the fluid are the body the chemical action as the basis of the whole effect is the will and the electric current running from it which produces shock and spark is the intellect but omnes simulae claudicot quite recently the physiatrica point of view has at last prevailed in pathology according to it diseases are themselves a curative process of nature which it introduces to remove by overcoming its causes a disorder which in some way has got into the organism thus in the decisive battle the crisis it is either victorious and attains its end or else is defeated this view only gains its full rationality from our standpoint which shows the will in the vital force that here appears as vis naturae medicatrix the will which lies at the foundation of all organic functions in a healthy condition but now when disorder has entered threatening its whole work assumes dictatorial power in order to subdue the rebellious forces by quite extraordinary measures and entirely abnormal operations the disease and bring everything back to the right track on the other hand that the will itself is sick as brandis repeatedly expresses himself in his book über die anwendung der Kelte, which i have quoted in the first part of my essay über den willen in der natur is a gross misunderstanding when i weigh this and at the same time observe that in his earlier book uber die lebenskraft of 1795 brandy betrayed no suspicion that this force is in itself the will but on the contrary says there page 13 it is impossible that the vital force can be that which we only know through our consciousness for most movements take place without our consciousness the assertion that this of which the only characteristic known to us is consciousness also affects a body without consciousness is at the least quite arbitrary and unproved and page fourteen hallers objections to the opinion that all living movements are the effect of the soul are as i believe quite unanswerable when i further reflect that he wrote his book über die anwendung der Kelte, in which all at once the will appears so decidedly as the vital force in his seventieth year an age at which no one as yet has conceived for the first time original fundamental thoughts when lastly i bear in mind that he makes use of my exact expressions will and idea and not of those which are far more commonly used by others the faculties of desire and of knowledge i am now convinced contrary to my earlier supposition that he borrowed his fundamental thought from me and with the usual honesty which prevails at the present day in the learned world said nothing about it the particulars about this will be found in the second and third edition of my work uber den willen in der natur page 14 end of chapter 20 part 3 recording by expatriate in bangor maine